0: Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I'm glad you could join us here today on this episode of the Physio Chains Education Podcast video interview series. So I've been looking forward to this interview for uh, quite a while here because I've been following this gentleman for quite some time. He is a physical therapist, a licensed massage therapist, and also a fellow of Applied Functional Science. And he also has a new book that just came out, and we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to get to that in a minute. So without further uh, delay here, I just want to introduce my special guest, Adam Wolf. And, Adam, thank you very much.
1: Carl, oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Finally, it's a uh, great opportunity and following you for a little while now, and so thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's my honor. It's my pleasure. I'm really glad you could. uh just want to say thank you for taking this time. And uh, we've had our technical difficulties making it happen, but – Boom! We got it now. So, here (laughs) here we go. So, um, anyways, let me get out this book here. You have a copy of your book right there. Because I have, I
1: do have my copy. Yeah.
0: So Adam has a new book that just came out, and it is awesome. Real movement perspective on integrated motion and motor control. And as I tell my friends in the the movement world, fitness world, this is a mind bender you and I have done some talking previously uh, for quite a while, so I have some good insight as to, I should say, better insight than I used to as far as your approach to things. And this stuff, man, this is so fascinating. So, um, you know, if you don't mind, I would love to start with this whole thing about bones, joints, um, speed, that whole analogy that you have or, or the, what you talk about with that in the book regarding all that.
1: Yeah, uh, happily. First, I'd say that it's not my approach by any means. I didn't make any of this information up. I just feel really fortunate to have learned from some great minds and one-on-one with a number of great clinicians and just people in general. So it's it's just, frankly, my take on everyone else's information. I'm good at synthesizing information. So I just want to, like, throw that out there, really, know it is mine. Um, And I'm really clear on, on making that distinction. I'm really, it's important to me to give credit to everyone that I have learned everything from. So it's important for me to do that. And in fact, the book does that. The way the book is divided out at, at the end of each chapter, there's an additional readings list of, you know, a number of other things that talk about you know, some of the stuff that we talked about in the book. Uh, what you were talking about, and I guess the real motion and the way, integrated motion is what I like to call it, is the thought process of, uh, as you said, bones move, joints feel uh, or perceive that movement, and muscles react to that movement, to control uh, whatever movement it is. I think that's sort of uh, the analogy that I like to use. One of the questions I like to ask my patients a lot is, they say, what muscle are you working on or am I working on? And I say, well, how many oceans are there? Uh, And, you know, sometimes people will say five. Typically the answer is five or seven. And then I say, well, it's really one body of water. And uh, seven oceans is a man-made construct, just like the thought process of, 658 or 659. They just invented a new muscle or discovered a new muscle. Did you hear about that? The tensor vastus intermedius. So the quadricep is now a penticep, Carl, but uh, uh, it's, it's one ocean. It's one. It's one muscle with 658 pockets or so, as uh, Thomas Myers says. So that's really the thought process that I like. Is that muscles is a man-made construct and that the body doesn't know what that is. The brain. Doesn't and the body knows how to control motions and the forces that are presented to it, including, as Gary Gray, who's a physical therapist, says, gravity, ground reaction, mass, and momentum. And those are the consistencies of forces that we are forced to deal with all the time. And injuries, in my opinion, most times occur when forces are presented to the body that the body can't handle as they're being presented. Um and so that's a long ramble right there. I'll stop right there. How's that?
0: No, no, that's not a ramble. I love it. This is the stuff I love. Um, Well, I I really like your bottle analogy. Can you demonstrate that for us?
1: Yeah, I guess, like, traditionally, one of the important things, I think, in differentiating, and Gary Gray is a physical therapist in applied functional sciences. uh, Through him, he's the inventor of it. uh, Really hammered home the concept for me that Uh, What we're doing when we're analyzing motion or should analyze motion, in my opinion, is look at joint motion and what the joint is doing in three planes of motion. And a lot of times what happens is people look at a region, the hip, the knee, the low back, as opposed to it being spaced between two bones that are acting against each other in three planes of motion in addition to being compressed or tensioned out or you know, vertically pulled apart. And so so when we're looking at it, I, I think it's important to understand that we're looking at what one bone does against the other. So we're looking at what a joint motion is. And a joint, most times, is a space between bones. And so the analogy is is that, for me, if, if two bones move in the same direction and the same speed, the joint, which again is space between the bones, doesn't necessarily feel any motion and that's really what it's about, in my opinion, is getting the joints to perceive motion, feel, feel becomes sensitive to some people. So perceive, or the nervous system to perceive the motion that's occurring between one bone and another. And so, for example, you know, two bones can move, both bones can move to the right, and they can do it at the same speed, and both bones can move to the right with the top going faster than the bottom both bones can move to the right and the bottom can go faster than the top. And in all three instances right there, the joint felt three different things because the way that we name joint motion and the extremities based on what all the book says is how is the distal bone or lower bone moving on a fixed proximal bone. But I can't really think of one instance in life when one bone moves and another bone doesn't, right? They're both going to move in the same direction, the top moving faster, the same direction with the bottom moving faster, they're going to move in the same direction at the same speed, or they're going to move in opposite directions. And, and the, the reality of that is that based on that, the joint ju- just looking at how a bones are moving, or two bones that make up a joint are moving, in my opinion, you can't just assume that the joint is feeling or perceiving that same motion, because it's dependent on where the drive is coming from. And what I mean by that is which bone is moving faster. Is it? If, if everyone stands up at home, or if you, you know, call, take your left hand right now and reach it behind your body in space, and you look at me as you do it, you take your hand and rotate, you have created right cervical rotation in your neck, even though I didn't say to you, you know, uh, rotate your head to the right, but your simple act of your eyes looking at me in the computer, maybe you're looking at you, I don't know, but if, if you rotate here, your eyes are a driver keeping your head straight ahead, your hand is a driver creating this bottom-up motion into your neck, right? So if you rotate Take your left hand and rotate it left in space behind you. Let's pick two segments. Let's pick C6 and C5. When you rotate your hand left behind you in space, your left hand rotates left in space. Uh, your, Your thoracics rotate left. Your C7 rotates left, but not as far or as fast as your thoracics. C5 rotates left, but not as far or as fast as C6. Uh, C7, right? So all the way up, C3 rotates left, but not as far or as fast as C4 until you get to the point because your eyes are straight ahead, you feel right cervical rotation. And so that's what we could define as a bottom-up driver into your system, meaning the bottom bones move in that direction faster than the top bones. Okay, so that's the case. and If you were standing up at home and you did that, and you took your left hand and rotated left in space behind you, I would expect your right foot to flex. And outer pronate, and I would expect you to uh, your left foot to supinate or roll out if you took your left hand, rotated it left in space, and that would be considered a top down driver into the system and the bones below it. And top down means the top bones move in a direction faster than the bottom bones. Okay, so again, if we t- pick two bones, let's pick your pelvis and your right femur. If everyone is standing up at home and they took their left hand and rotated it left behind them in space as far as they could their pelvis would rotate left. Oh, you're going to do it. Great. So your lumbars rotate left. Your thoracic rotates left. Your lumbars rotate left, but not as far as fast. Your pelvis rotates left, but not as far as fast. Your right femur rotates left, but not as far as fast. Your right tibia rotates left, but not as far as fast. Your right calcaneus everts. Your talus dives down and in, and your right foot pronates. Or it should. And the fun thing about knowing that if it should is then you can see if it happens or not. And that's the power of understanding a driver, top-down, bottom-up driver, because if I know what should happen in space or when I drive you in space, if I know what should happen when I drive you into a motion, I can see if it happens or not. Does the reaction that I expect to happen happen or not? And if it doesn't, well, then I have to ask a question, and that's a question that's hard in our industry to frankly ask, I think, and that's why. Why is it not happening? Uh, who's what's, when's, where's what's, those are easy you know, there's a lot of those, but the why is, I think, is one of the things that is special about integrated motion. And so, getting to your point, all of that, just to get to this point, you asked me about the bottle, and so the analogy that I like, if you know, we've got this bottle of water here, okay, and I can take the top, I can, if the top, the cap here is the one bone, the proximal bone, we'll say it's the femur, and the lower, the glass here, bottle is the tibia. This is the so the space is the interface between the knee. We'll forget the patella. It's just along for the ride. So I can get the cap to come off the bottle in five different ways. Okay, just like what that means, we're equating to bones being able to move, one bone being able to move on the other to have the same feeling or motion in the joint in five different ways, and that per plane of motion. Okay, so this is just going to be the transverse plane, and this happens in all three. So. The bottom bone can stay fixed. The, the, the glass can stay fixed and I can twist the, the, the top bone up. So I can the distal moving the proximal, the cap comes off. Okay? We can fix the, the proximal. I can hold on to the, the cap. I can twist the, the bottom the bone off, the, the bottom bone. So fix the proximal, move the distal for the cap to come off. Those are two ways. I can get the cap for the cap to come off. Both bones, both the bottom and the top moving to the right but I'm going to get the bottom bone doing it faster. So both bones in the same direction, but the bottom bone goes faster for the cap to come off. Okay? Both the bones can go with the glass and the top can rotate left, but the top can do it faster as that happens and the cap comes off. There's four. And then they can go in opposite directions. One can go one way, one can go the other way, and the cap comes off. Okay? And so that's equating bones being able to move against each other and essentially that for me is important because just assuming again to wrap this up to your first question just thinking about bones moving real bone motion doesn't mean the joint is feeling that relative motion so bone motions versus real bone motions versus relative joint motions becomes really important Whew, that was a lot must take a sip to this water
0: yeah, I love that, man. I love it. Actually, when I stood up and I went like this, I did go into eversion or pronation, and um, actually, so if I left, if I kept looking forward, then I had a top down and bottom up going on, right? Because I've got
1: exactly, yeah. And most times in, in in movement, there is top down and bottom up going at the same time. You know, generally speaking, of course, there's deviations, but when your foot's hitting the ground. That reaction from your foot hitting the ground is a bottom-up motion for most of the lower extremity, and and just you know understanding what should be happening at any zone, you know, uh, or any movements, I can see if it happens or not. And and injuries occur, in my opinion, again when forces are presented to the body that the body can't handle when you're sort of trying to transition out of a movement when you kind of Gary Great talks about the load to explode so when you're going into a movement and then on the way out, you be coming out and you're still getting loaded with movement with forces, gravity, ground reaction, mass momentum, and injury occurs because of that, typically at the trans- transitional zones, is what they're called. So it's important, in my opinion, to be able to differentiate relative joint motion versus real bone motion because, it, again, you know, and often there's a bunch of examples. It looks like one thing's happening, but the exact opposite is what the joint is registering a few Yeah, so this is
0: just really interesting the relationship between all these different things right it seems like it's infinite because in uh early on in your book you talk about in fact i did it a couple of days ago i stood up because i have this if i'm not careful i could exhibit some of the typosis i have which i'm working on correcting i don't want people to see like the rest
1: that. of society my friend
0: yeah i don't want people to see it i don't want to have it so i'm working on it but it was interesting so I, um Let's say I'm standing right now, but I'm not but let's say I am bring my arm up to the first point of resistance step this is my right arm step forward the left leg get the right leg into extension boom I Got I don't know how many more degrees probably a good another 15 degrees of uh, This
1: so that's about, That's kind of what I would expect about 15 to 20 when that happened
0: talking, and of course what I'm referencing here is the relationship to hip, hip and shoulder function, hip function and how it affects
1: shoulder. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, yeah, there's a, a bunch of hip and shoulder relationships that are existing, so you know, from an integrated lens uh, we, we could take advantage of them in a bunch of ways, you know when my shoulder, when I rotate like this and take my, you know, put my hand and my, my humerus to my side and I do glenal humeral external rotation You know, if I don't think about it, well, my opposite hip is externally rotating a lot of times. It can happen. So my same side hip is internally rotating as that happens, and so we can take advantage of that if we know what to look for and if that happens. And the example that I give all the time is, you know, the person that impinges in the front of their shoulder when they're taking uh, dishes out of their dishwasher and putting it up into the cabinet, and they impinge in the front of their shoulder, and they've got that kyphotic position, and so... You know, for me, I equate it to wants and needs. If your shoulder hurts, that's the side of the injury, the victim, as I call it. The criminals, side of the injury is not the cause of the injury most times. I think that it's most times a joint or two above or below. So understanding hip and shoulder relationships, if you've got a lot of kyphosis, you probably got shortened anterior tissue, which means your hip flexors are probably a little tight. And, you know, so if you have a tight hip flexor, you're not going to be able to get as much shoulder extension. So if you come to me, it comes to wants and needs for me a lot of times, as I said. So if you come in to me, you want me to rub on your shoulder, and, and that's all I do, and, I, and you need me to work on your hip, uh, and all I do is give you what you want, which is rubbing on your shoulder, you're going to leave unsatisfied, right? But vice versa, like if I come in and I work give you only what you need, which is for me to work on your hip, knowing that if I can get your hip into more extension, that's going to create more lumbar extension posterior tilt of the pelvis, that's going to create more thoracic extension, that's going to create more posterior tilt of the scapula to clear the head of the humerus to be able to put that dish up in the cabinet overhead. So if I only give you what you need, you'll think I'm crazy. Uh, If I only give you what you want, you're not going to be satisfied. So either way, you're not going to be satisfied. So for me, understanding those relationships that exist, I can give you what you want and really get what you need as well. And for me, it comes to like, it's exactly that. You want me to rub on your shoulder, I recognize that's not why sh- your shoulder is not the cause of your shoulder hurting. Let me rub on your shoulder. There, are their shoulder. Let me rub on you, make you feel a little better. Maybe put some tape on you, maybe put something on you that's going to make you, give you what you want. Also help to just relax your nervous system a little bit, because if you're in pain, you probably have a like, slightly amped up nervous system or sympathetic. But then I can go get what you need me to do, which is give you some extensions. So I find it... You could balance and simply understanding those kind of connections, uh, victims to criminals. You know, I can stop the victim from screaming and the silent criminal I can go find if I know what to look for.
0: Yeah, so kind of just bring something to mind here. I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but why not, is is when there's pain in one area. I mean, a lot of us, I think a lot of people are aware now, maybe more than our society used to be, that pain, the sight of pain isn't necessarily where... is caused by or from like the originating spot like for me this hip pain that I'm experiencing I'm not so sure that it's actually from the hip because I've been dealing with this for a few months now I've never had any pain in my life like this and so um that's another subject but I guess the, the the point being that you said it the other day when we were talking the sight of pain is not necessarily the place we want to work on. And you kind of just said that a minute ago, too, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll work on the side of the pain. You know, I think that that needs to be happen for a number of reasons, including, you know, motor control-wise and neuroplasticity-wise. Pain science talks about, Laura Mir Mosley and David Butler talk about, people in chronic pain or pain in general have like a what they call a smudging in your motor somatosensory cortex, your representation to the distribution of your body becomes less in those specific, uh, uh, in, in the part that hurts. So you, you lose representation in your brain. You lose proprioceptive awareness. So like working on an area that is in pain, I think there's a ton of value to it. I think you know, a great study that I just uh, came across not too long ago, I mean, by the way, but most people give me great studies and they, like, hey, you need to read this. I think it's going to help you out. The one that I, Steve Kapowiakko from Rock Tape showed me was one about uh, two-point discrimination in the thoracolumbar fascia in people that have low back pain. I find it fascinating that people that have no low back pain in this study were able to differentiate two-point discrimination, meaning touching two points, uh, they were able to tell that it was two points at three centimeters. So in your thoracolumbar fascia, if you take your two fingers and you were to touch it one or two centimeters, you would feel one point. If you touch it two or three centimeters, you would feel two points, four centimeters, two points. So people that have no back pain, it's around three centimeters. People that have low back pain in the thoracolumbar fascia, the study showed that I believe the number was seven centimeters is the two-point discrimination in people with low back pain. So at three centimeters, you're touching the two points, they're feeling one. At four centimeters, one, five, six. And so they get to seven centimeters, they don't uh, don't differentiate two-point discrimination. So for me, that says that they lack a lot of tactile acuity, and that's proprioceptive awareness, which goes back to your nervous system and your brain. And so the, working on the side of the injury, I think, is really important. We just need to recognize that there's more to it, and it's probably, unless you have a crush injury, you're walking down the street and a piano falls on your head. It's going to be the result of something not doing what it needs to do, which means something above or below needs to do too much. In my head, anyway, that's the way I look at it.
0: It's the
1: way I've been taught.
0: Well, you know, and I speak to mutual friends, uh, quite a few mutual friends, and it's funny because as I've gotten to know them and learned some of the material, you know, Steve, uh, that's very stable. we have this, I've, I've learned a lot from them, and now from you, this is, that, that's, that's how we're starting, well, it's how I see you guys thinking, it's how I see, it's how I see things now. I mean, it's pretty evident that if we work on just the site of pain, we may not get any results to speak of, depending upon what we'll, what the issue is. Which is really cool. See this ridiculous smile on my face is because I love this stuff. I <laughs>
1: do too. I geek out on it. I think about it, regardless of if I'm talking about it with people, I'm thinking about it. So the opportunity to talk about it is even more fun. Um,
0: so I want to move into. We uh, I just have some notes here. We were talking in a recent conversation, Um I'm not really sure how I'm going to ask you this, but I'm just going to mention nervous system, perception of pain. Um, is there anything you want to share about that? Do you have, you have stuff in your book about this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's such a – the thing about the book is that it really is – any of the number of topics that I touch upon could be and are – well more than weekend-long courses. The book is really just designed to be an introduction to a number of these ways. As I've said, I've been really fortunate to have learned with and from a number of, frankly, great clinicians. And a good friend of mine, Dr. Nick Studholm, he's a chiropractor in Colorado, uh, really opened me up. up. And I think his, his quote says it best, and that's, we open up a neurological window. For people, and there are uh, you know to then go ahead and make changes in their nervous system because a lot of times you know research shows that pain produces inhibition. We know that happens. We know that pain produces inhibitions in the body, and when that happens, if there's something that's inhibited, it means that something is inhibiting it, and so the ability to understand some of those relationships that exist in the in again one of the people that I've heard it from his name is Thomas Wells. In California, it talks about improving aberrance, afferrance input into the brain, improving like the, the bad input up in the brain to improve the output. That's really, I think, what we're trying to do is change the way the patterning of the brain is, is how it's being perceived up to change how it's being, what the outflow is going to be, so to speak. And so that, that analogy of opening up neurological windows is really powerful for me. I think that's what I do more and more. People that I work on and you know, I do a lot of work, body work. If you touch people, for me, that's body work. Um, I do a lot of body work. And I, the more I, people I work on, the less I really think I'm affecting structure most times. I think I'm affecting the nervous system and the, the perception with the nervous system, whether to create more awareness or more connection with the nervous system or create less connection with the nervous system. And oftentimes it's doing, a, it's doing both. It's be it's lessening somewhere and more somewhere else. And so... That's one of my big discoveries. I mean, what research all these special congresses are showing that it takes two thousand pounds of square force of, of force per square inch to deform tissue. Let me say that again: it takes two thousand pounds of force per square inch to deform tissue. And I have, I you know, I do a lot of work with my hands and body work, whatever. I've got you know, mallet hands. If you've ever had me touch you? You know, I've got a nice grit on me. And I think it, I have a handheld dynamometer right now. And The most I can force I can derive is maybe 65, 70 pounds if I'm really laying into it. And so it's not happening. I don't think we're not changing structure. I think that if anything, what we're doing when we're talking about bodywork or fascia, and again, what the research shows, and Steve Capobianco again introduced me to this research by Jeffrey Boe, B-O-V-E, and he talks about really what we're doing is improving the ability of the interfaces of the tissue, the various layers, to slide past each other. They need to be able to slide past each other. And if that doesn't happen, well, then tissue starts to get bound up for a number of reasons. I equate tissue needing to be able to get fully long and fully short uh, or go through excursion. Muscles go through full, full lengthening and shortening. And if there's not a full lengthening to a full shortening, well, then there's not going to be as much pressure change in that tissue versus what's around it. And blood it's just like fluid and air and everything ventures based, based on pressure differentials, high to low. So if there's not this pressure change because tissue's not getting fully long, to fully short, there's not going to be as much blood flowing through the tissue. When there's not as much blood flowing into the tissue, there's not as much oxygen getting into the tissue. When there's not as much oxygen getting into the tissue, there's literally a chemical reaction that begins to bind the tissue together. What my friend, Ethan Christworth in uh, California taught sir, I heard him refer to it as a Velcroing effect, and I don't believe that comes from him, but uh, it's, it's a powerful, so these layers of tissue that should be able to slide past deep over superficial and what's next to it should be able to slide when it can't because the tissue's not getting fully long to fully short, let's say that you hurt you hit your hip, you hit your elbow, whatever you get. it hurts to go through motion you're not going to go through the motion, you're going to move around it, you're going to shorten the tissue and then this reaction occurs in the tissue that starts to bind it together and then when you have to go there, how oh, it hurts, you don't want to go there and then there's pain and avoidance and fear and anxiety And all these pieces start to play into it, let alone protective. And then on one side of the joint, there's a protective adaptation in the tissue. So now there's tissue that's shortened on one one side and lengthened on the other side. And then that goes to nervous system principles of shortened tissue. Most of the time is going to be more connected to the nervous system than lengthened tissue. And so then there's this whole effect that takes place. So, you know, again, you're affecting the nervous system or the perception with the nervous system on how the input is perceived up into the brain, I think, to open up that neurological window, as Nick says. And then for me, the question becomes, so what what do you do about it? And that's one of my favorite questions. So once you have this access, and there's a bunch of ways to, as I've heard it called hack the nervous system, is what Dr. Andrea Ospina talks about. And there's a million ways to do it, but then what do you do with it once you have that access? And I think that that's some of the power of, frankly, understanding integrated movement and being able to improve the way somebody moves, right? Once you give them motion back through a combination of tissue that needs to work together to control a force that's presented to it, how can... You need to preserve it. You enhance that motion. You need to preserve it. You do that by loading a movement. Uh, load it, and that's really the thought process that I use.
0: I... Um you actually went right into what I was going to ask next. I had to do the sliding um, when we talk about fascia. So, yeah, I, I that, that that's just fascinating to me. Uh, you were talking in a recent conversation a couple of days ago. We were talking about uh, another thing I found interesting about muscles and opposite direction. Um, yeah, I'd love to have you cover that too. Just because I muscles, know, you know, very fascinating as well.
1: Yeah, like tying it into sliding, we could tie it into the fashion sliding muscles. Tissue goes opposite first in most extreme, in the most instances. If we're thinking what I call a one-ocean mentality versus a seven-ocean mentality, meaning it's one body of tissue that the you know, motion's not muscles, then the body works. The body lengthens before it shortens. If I'm going to have you stand up, and, and you know, they joke that you and I will do it for everybody at home. Uh, we'll, we'll have a challenge for everybody at home here. So what I want you to try to do is stand up on three. Everybody that should be fairly easy for everyone. But what you're not allowed to do when you stand up is go forward or down. You have to go straight to the ceiling, okay? So move forward in your chair, psych yourself up, position yourself however you need to. Whoever can do it at home can have a free copy of my book, Real Movement and Perspective on Integrated Motion and Motor Control, okay? You have to video yourself doing this on three, go ahead and try to stand up. And don't go forward or down. Go straight to the ceiling. One, two, three. You can't do it is the point. You know, There's going to be a forward and down movement when you go. And so then as I'm teaching, so the example that I give is let's go ahead and uh, we all seen the movie Caddyshack, be the ball. We're going to be body parts right now. You will be the bottom of your foot right now. And uh, what I want you to do is go ahead on three and stand up but let yourself go forward or down. I want you on three to just barely get, stand up, barely get your butt off the tip chair, just barely get it up off the chair and stop, and tell me what you feel on the bottom of your feet. One, two, three, go. And what you feel is a tension in the bottom of your feet. Be any muscle you want, be your quadriceps, be your calves, be your hip flexors, be your thoracic extensors, be your cervical neck flexors. Frankly, it doesn't matter to me. What do you feel when you get to that point and you stop? You feel tension occurring. And what that is is the body utilizing the forces that are presented to it, right? You're taking your mass Moving forward, that's momentum from ground reaction pulling you down, gravity pulling you down, ground forces, allow you to load the tissue to then go ahead and stand up. It doesn't matter the activity. There's going to be a, a lengthening before you go. If I'm going to you know hit a golf ball that way, I'm going to load up this way first. If I'm going to throw a ball that way, I'm going to load it up this way first. If I throw like this, it doesn't look right. So that's what I mean by that. Another example that I give, you know, if you put your hand on a table, yeah, right. put it on my knee here, if everybody at home puts their hand on the table or the back or whatever, pick up your – well, don't crash if you're doing that, but pick up your middle finger and slam your middle finger down to the table as hard as you can. Slam it just as hard. You can see you're doing it. That It's shaking in that camera there. So slam it. That, to me, is force production. That's isolated muscles working to create a force. Okay, As hard as you can, that's what you can do. Now what I want you to do is take your other hand, pull your finger back as far as you can, and then let go. And there's going to be more force. You're going to feel more – slam you can hear it easier that's because you loaded the body opposite before you unloaded it and and so the body is three to nine times more efficient is what you know my, the studies that i've seen show uh, if you're able to go opposite first and so if tissue i think that's what you're referring to and then tying it into tissue which we were just talking about if that tissue can't get fully long to fully short and there is that chemical reaction that begins to sort of bind the tissue because lack of slide and lack of pressure difference, no blood flow, less oxygen, the tissue starts to get cross-linked or Velcroed together, you know, you should be able to, that then, we need to then improve the ability of the interfaces of those tissue to slide past, and I think that that's the value of body work for me. And if we look at the body in terms of a three-dimensional network, the concepts of tensegrity, really become important, or tension and integrity. The body exists on this compression and tensional relationships. And so, what we were talking about tissue and body work is, you know, if you take tissue, if you take slack and tissue and approach tissue at a tangential angle, meaning at a 45-degree angle with a little compression and a little tension, you create tension in the body that you can then, take apart of and you're able to shear apart those velcro pieces, so to speak, at least in my head. Is that exactly what's happening? I have no idea, quite frankly, it's all conjecture. But to improve the ability of those interfaces of tissue to to slide it past, we need to take advantage of tensegrity, compression, attention, and distraction, quite frankly. I'm always you know talking about pulling apart tissue whenever I can do that. In my opinion and I think if any of the body workers out there, they touch, you know, there's times when you're like, oh, yeah, right there. It hurts right there. or That's sensitive for you or that's limited. And I could have my earphones in and have my eyes closed and know when I'm at that spot. Because if I take tension and compression and tension at the beginning of a passive tissue, the beginning of where it starts, if I take my tension and compression at a certain depth, if I stay at that depth, I theoretically should be able to get just about all the way through that tissue from start to finish without getting stopped I sort of equate and teach that I don't stop on tissue. Tissue stops me when there's that what I consider to be sort of that velcro or multi-layer sort of come together. And so when I find those issues that tissue stops me on, well, that's, those tend to be the places that are really tender for people that are deoxygenated. And those are, in my opinion, the places that we can improve the ability of Those interfaces just slide past each other in order to lengthen the tissue, in order to create pressure change to get blood and oxygen, create more awareness of that region, and alter the input up into the brain.
0: I love that, man. Um, Yeah, it's funny because as we were doing this. I didn't make it up, man. But, you know, as I'm getting up out of the chair, right, I actually just never thought until today doing this. Like, um, you need to load. You have to load to be able to get up. If I don't load, I'm not loading.
1: Absolutely. you got to go opposite. Yeah, it's important. It's really important to go opposite any time. You know, and that's a whole, that's, again, that, that concept right there we could talk about for two more hours, just loading opposite to be able to create reactions in the direction. You know, one strategy would be to you know, use that muscle that you're trying to strengthen in isolation to get it shorter. But another is to, in integration, load it farther to where it wants to go, where it's comfortable going, to then come back out and create a reaction the opposite way. Understanding that when tissue is short, and I believe from my understanding of like muscle activation and muscle energy techniques, you know, if muscles are short, it loses the tensional relationship, the length tension relationship, the bogey tendons specifically, I believe, sort of lose some of their length tension relationship, and then the muscle becomes inhibited to the system. And, you know, that word inhibited becomes really sensitive, and what I mean by it is, uh, you know, the ability of the nervous system to engage a muscle contraction. If you look at a normal functioning muscle on an EMG, and it was to contract, you would see a steady-state ramp-up, a steady-state contraction at the top, and a steady-state ramp-down. If you look at a muscle that's inhibited to the system, there's going to be a very quick, short ramp-ups, a very spiky contraction, and like a fall-off at the end. There's not going to be this, this continual length. And so we're improving the ability, that's what I mean by inhibited, is that it's a late ability of the muscle to, in, or the nervous system to engage that specific region, and so we, we can improve that ability uh, by you know, changing input up and change the output.
0: So, you know, it just occurs to me, uh, this is something I've, I've taught in a lot of my workshops, and um, it just occurs to me how important gravity really is, because without it, we ain't going anywhere, right? So, you know, the analogy I use I didn't make this up and I can't remember who did um somebody anyways you're a pitcher right lined up boom load pitch so is gravity our friend well put me in a harness and suspend me one foot off the floor see how far I can throw it and how accurate We just found out gravity is our friend we use it to load That's kind of
1: cool. absolutely
0: yeah so um, yeah either, either
1: wall who in- Ida Rolf, who invented structural integration, talked about existing in a gravitational field and being able to work with it or fight against it and trying to optimize the ability to work with gravity as opposed to fight against it. But it's a constant in life. It's one of those things that we can anchor to uh, as a consistency across disciplines. Gravity is there. We need to work with it. It's, and it's always going to be there. People, when they come in to me and they're like, oh, my arthritis, I have knee pain. My arthritis in my knee. You know, I ask them, does your knee hurt you all the time? And a lot. sometimes people say, yeah, my knee hurts me all the time. I say, okay, well, then, you know, it's arthritis. But people say, no, it doesn't hurt me all the time. I say, well, arthritis is with you all the time, isn't it? And they say, yeah, so, if, you know, if you take a gravity away, if you went out of space, do you think you'd have knee pain? And the answer is probably no. And then that goes into how we work within gravity and these compressional, tensional relationships that exist because of tensegrity and the spiral nature of the body, you know, we can... We can take advantage. Gravity is our friend. We have to – it can be our friend if we want it to be.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I'm going off. I actually didn't plan on saying this. but just makes me think of something else. I was in London back in August teaching at um, Parkour Generations, um, actually teaching a movement efficiency workshop. To people who are very efficient at movement, like way more efficient than me, but we got into some real interesting conversations about their navigating all the kind of fancy stuff they do, which is so cool. Uh, Dan Edwards, it, it, we had a really interesting conversation about gravity and using it to our advantage. Learning how to work with it. You just, I think the can. you can. Yeah, very cool. Very cool.
1: Absolutely. Gary Gray says gravity, ground reaction, mass momentum. I and mean, that's what he's really instilled. And those are the consistencies that the bodies can always working to control, and again, injury, in my opinion, most times is going to occur when you can't handle at least one of those four forces, gravity, ground, reaction, mass, momentum.
0: This is awesome, and I'm just looking at my list. We covered everything on my list except a couple things. I want to, first of all, ask you if there's anything more you would like to share with, with the audience, any kind of takeaway message. We're going to talk about your book more in a minute and your website and your workshops. Those are on my agenda.
1: Yeah, I mean, the takeaway message for me is just, you know, lifelong learning. I think that's really important for everybody, and stuff that everybody does works some of the time. Everything works some of the time. So to have a big toolbox and be able to understand this integrated lens, it's really just going to, frankly, I feel it is a lens in which to look through movement at that's going to be able to enhance everything that you're already doing. So, you know, again, the book is really written – Frankly, it started as an adjunct to my classes that I teach, and people were saying, hey, can I – where can I get more information on this and this and this? And I would say, well, there's not really one place. So that was one impetus to kind of start to look the book. And it's truly just meant to be an introduction and, again, my perspective on these – very seemingly various topics and how they do really relate to each other. And, and the word perspective in there, a perspective on, is quite frankly, a, it's a shout-out to Moshe Beldenkrais, who I've found a lot of inspiration in, and he's written a, I've read a number of his books, and a lot of his are a study in or a perspective on, and so that's why I chose to choose that name. And the real movement is because my business is called Real PT and Moshe
0: Well, if this is just an intro to everything, I can't wait to see what else you'd write in the future. Um, well, again, it's and
1: it's just you know go learn it. I want you to learn it from everybody that I learned it from. That's quite frankly, and that's truly what. That's why right at the end of each chapter there's a, an additional readings list. This is meant to be a, a stepping stone to go learn from those people. I've got permission from a number of my mentors to talk about their work and how I put it together, and so that's what this. Uh, that's what this kind of turned into. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad to sign. I know I know what I want to add. I think I can, you know. There's it's going to be a stepping stone for me to go
0: so we have obviously we're doing video right here, but the audio version of this goes on my iTunes, um on iTunes. So for those who are watching, you can see okay, I have the Kindle version of Adam's book, A Real Movement, Perspective on Iterated Motion and Motor Control. He's got the heart um he's got the other uh, book there, the non-Kindle version. And so uh Let's talk about your courses of websites. You have, first of all, your website is biomechanicaldetective.com, correct?
1: That's correct, yeah. Biomechanical Detective is sort of a cutesy name that I took on a few years ago. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I don't feel like it's all-encompassing enough, really, honestly, but it's it works for now. So, yeah, biomechanicaldetective.com, and I've got a link to the book and the e-book version. There's also, I did a... Uh, I filmed my two-day course that I teach this past summer, and so had it professionally videoed and edited, and so that's for sale as well. It's condensed down to three and three hours and forty minutes, Uh, so you can purchase that online at my website as well. And I teach a number of courses. Teach for Rock Tape, which is a great company that work for an adhesive elastic tape, kinesiology tape. They have a number of different movement-based courses. Sort of the joke is, uh, we tricked you into being here. We're really going to talk about movement. Within the context of taping and all these other things. So, I teach for Rock Tape, uh, I teach for, uh, some courses for Medical Minds in Motion and Cross Country Education as well, uh, some one day courses for them, and, uh, just starting to put out my own two day courses now. I'm organizing it on my own. So I've got a number of those scheduled this year, so if anybody is interested in, um, me coming and t- teaching or talking to their group or company, just let me Get Email you. Me. Catch, catch. We have social media, and on social media, and Instagram as well is also Biomechanical Detective. You can find me there.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna help you get get you out to the East Coast here. We gotta set you up. You need to be here. Excellent. Um. So we got the website biomechanicaldetective.com. I'll have a link to that on the screen. And I think that's about it, man. People, you gotta it's go. Out fun, there. man. Glad we made it happen. I'm going to go show this one more time. you got to go out and buy this book. It's really great. I, I started reading it two nights ago, and I'm up to Chapter 5, and it's hard to put it down. So I really appreciate this. Yeah, for those, uh, we, I just have to tell, we actually did this interview two days ago, an interview two days ago, and we had a technical thing where Adam's box didn't show up, and you can't see him. And it's important to me to be able to see because we have things to demonstrate. You demonstrated the bottle analogy and a bunch of other things. So I'm really glad. I think we got a winner on this one, though. So uh, thanks for taking the time. Otherwise,
1: I was going to just do it in my underwear next time. It's just Yeah, no video, <laughs> yeah. just underwear. I, I...
0: Uh, next time. Um, thanks, Carl. This is fun. Yeah, next time we'll be face to face. We'll set up a real camera and do it in person. But thank you again, Adam. I really appreciate you taking this time. I um, if you don't mind, just stay on after. My pleasure. Other. Stay on for a minute. No problem. Thanks for tuning in, and um, stay tuned for uh, uh, more from Adam in the future. I can guarantee you that. All right, so thanks again for tuning in. Have a great day.